Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Well, fighting resumes in Gaza. Hong Kong officials say the local dollar will stay strong as the HKMA intervenes again. And McDonald's supplier OSI recalls all Shanghai Husi products. Also, China's June industrial profits jumped 17.9%. That was well up from the average of 11.4% over the first six months of this year. But there are still the naysayers. Still bearish four years later. Not much has changed except the credit bubble has gotten bigger. Um, Everything that we talked about in 2010 is just basically doubled. That's the well-known hedge fund operator and China bear Jim Chanos. And as he mentioned, he's still bearish some four years after his initial call. It's not that he doesn't have respect for the leadership in Beijing. They absolutely are very serious people. And the technocrats in Beijing are not to be underestimated. Exactly. However, there is a saying in China, uh, the mountains are high and the emperor is far away. And all of the action where the rubber hits the road in China happens at the local level. More from Jim Chanos later. Our guests on the program this morning include Erwin Sanf from Standard Chartered on the recent strong rally of Hong Kong and China stocks. Does it continue or does the Chanos thesis uh, win out? Our international economics correspondent Barry Wood will also be along for us or along with us to take a look at a very busy week ahead in the United States. We'll have U.S. GDP and jobs data coming. We'll also be talking about Gaza and Ukraine with Barry. And later we'll be speaking with Charlie Wong. CEO of Zuji Hong Kong. Travel is brisk even with the recent global events. Why? China's biggest domestic travel website, for instance, C-Trip, hit an all-time high last week and is up 35% this year. So we'll be looking in our industry segment at travel, and we'll be doing that with Charlie Wong, again, the CEO of Zuji. Well, we'll take a look for you uh, at Asian markets here in just a moment uh, as soon as we uh, get the first five minutes of market performance. And uh, then we'll continue with our news flow before we welcome in uh, Barry Wood. So here's how the markets are moving uh, just at this moment. Uh, looks like a mixed uh, response here in early trading. The Australian market is down, down four points at 55.69. Seoul is a little bit higher with the uh, cost be up a couple of points at 2036. And uh, looking at uh, Forex trading, the dollar yen is 101.76. So that is the dollar, little changed against the yen. The euro is trading at 1.342, so a slightly weaker euro. The pound, 13 Hong Kong dollars, 16 cents. And the Australian dollar, just over 94 cents at 94.01. So we say good morning now to Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Brian. I've got some great comments from Jim Chanos on uh, China, but uh, normally I would run those first. But I think I'll run those before uh, Erwin Sampf. Uh, and uh, because we'll be talking with Erwin about uh, the uh, pickup in markets out here and a little pickup in enthusiasm on the mainland economy. But um, first, let's talk about the American economy uh, and and also the geopolitical tensions. We do have a big week this week. What are you looking for? Well, you're right. It's a big week. But I think the main one is the employment report, which comes on Friday. And we're looking for a good number again. And these have all been good. Uh, it may be as high as, uh, what, 233,000? We had 288,000 new jobs in the month of June. So now we're going to get a July report, and uh, we've got a string of good reports. Yes, the jobless claims last week uh, showed a rather dramatic jump down. However, the market finished up the week kind of uh, weekly. Well, you're 
right, Brian. I mean, the the uh, the market was flat. We had some mixed tech reports that really affected sales. Amazon was way down. Apple was up. Facebook way up. Uh, on balance, I think you have to say those tech reports in the market were very positive. But given the geopolitical tension that you allude to, I think a flat week is a kind of victory. And uh, I should say as well, in answer to your question, we've got the first report on second quarter GDP. That's coming, and apparently we're going to see a very strong bounce back, perhaps as high as 3% annual growth rate in the second quarter after that disastrous 2.9% decline annual rate in the first quarter. Yes, that seems to be discounted that uh, will balance out the drop in the first quarter. Nobody can quite figure that out because uh, if it was just weather, then you might see a much bigger rebound than, say, 3% in all of the second quarter. But nonetheless, uh, it uh, seems to be moving in the right direction. What is picking up in your view? Well, it's hard to say. I think that there's a kind of uh, gradual improvement in confidence. We'll get some confidence numbers this week. Housing remains mixed. We're not seeing the kind of new construction. That holds us back. And I think auto sales are booming. I mean, we're up at a 16 million annual rate sales in autos. Maybe that's because everything is worn out, had to be replaced. But that's a very good number. So that's mixed. But that's what's holding up the economy. I think that uh, people still are not feeling that good about the future. And let's face it, you and I have talked a lot, Brian, that incomes are not rising. And they're not. So there's very little increased money that people can go out and spend. Do you think even more important than the number of new jobs created will be a close analysis of wages in the jobs report this week? I do. I think that's very important. And that is because you know, if you look it. at if you look at people, they they are a little bit um, sensitive about losing their job. Plus, um, if you look at inflation, the things that they have to buy, like food and energy, are actually quite buoyant. I mean, those prices are up a little bit. It's the things that are sort of like, you know, buying a DVD or a, a, a flat screen TV that uh, maybe the prices are flattish, but they don't need that. So everything they need is going up and the wages aren't. Well, that's true. I mean, what more can you say? <laughs> there you are. Sorry. People are, people are, 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 uh, are, are stretched and uh, they're not doing big purchases. I mean, you find very uneven markets. If you look at housing, you find parts of the country that are doing very well. And then you find other places that remain very depressed. And the other but thing we that's, have not seen the wage growth that we need. The other thing that's kind of scary is that the reason that autos have been strong is that people can get subprime loans there. <laughs> it's true, Brian, and this is a problem. Uh, I was at a, a Zillow housing forum on Thursday, which was exceedingly interesting. You know the FICO store. I guess that's the Fair Isaac um, Index that determines really whether you get a, a decent mortgage or a decent car loan. It's a person's and credit rating. Fact, it, a credit rating. Yeah. And it's, it's exactly true that over the last year, credit scores have declined. And the people who are at the lower end that used to get, you know, the subprime for housing, they can't get them, but they can still get them for automobiles. And this, I think, 
really identifies a serious hole in the U.S. economy. So because a lot of investors would be listening to this program, can we say that it's fairly safe to assume that at least at the moment, it seems that interest rates going up are not actually coming in closer, but are still out there around the middle of next year to maybe the third quarter of next year? Well, I wouldn't want to go that far. But I would certainly say that at this housing conference, there was a disagreement about interest rates in 2015. Everyone agreed there would be no increase in mortgage interest rates in the states, and by implication for auto loans as well, during the rest of 2014. Half the panel sort of said with some persuasive evidence that rates will go up perhaps a full point during the course of 2015. Just as many people argued persuasively, no, no, they're going to hold steady because the market is too weak and, they, and there's still a credit squeeze. Look, I came away from this session thinking, whoa, housing in the United States is not back to normal, and certainly the economy is not back to normal, six to seven years after the crisis. It's still the same as it has been that people who have money, you know, the people who have enjoyed these gains in the stock market, the so-called haves versus the have-nots. I mean, if you look at San Francisco and Los Angeles and New York, housing markets are strong there. And, you know, spending is pretty good because the people, you know, that are in the top, say, 10, 15 percent, they're doing okay. Absolutely. And yet you've got uh, the residents of Denver, of Chicago of Cleveland, of Detroit, of Atlanta, 40% of the people in those regions are underwater still in their mortgages. Well, those are the people that are not going to go out and spend because they're too uncertain. And they can't trade houses because they don't want to sell at these depressed prices because they're still underwater. Okay, Barry, uh, let's talk a little bit about the earnings, uh, and then I'll let you go. Uh, and, and maybe we can get a, a word or two in also on uh, Ukraine and, and Gaza. Gaza hasn't affected the stock market as much as Ukraine has, because people are awfully worried about um, the economic um, sanctions on Russia, the possibility of them being strong, and also of uh, the Cold War coming back. But before we get to that, let's talk about earnings. The earnings have been beating a lot. They've been beating even more than the normal kind of 68, 70%. They've been beating about 77% of the time. Revenue is still not that great, but you do see a little bit of a change in that you're seeing a lot of companies getting slammed and you're seeing a lot of companies going up a lot. So it's more of a market of stocks now. Well, I think that's true. I mean, look, the Amazon report was very interesting. Here's a company that is doing far more business than ever. It's selling everything. It's sort of the Walmart of the web. And yet, Bezos puts the, the dominant figure in the company. He reinvests everything, and they don't see any profits. He keeps his margins so low, there's no profits there. The stock tumbles, what, 10% on the week. And yet, on the other side of that is Apple. Everybody wants an iPhone. There's a new iPhone coming. Look at that stock price this past week, and the same was true with Facebook and their advertising. So technology, by and large, is exceedingly hot. And what does that mean for San Francisco and the Silicon Valley? It means that you grab every engineer you can get a hold of, property prices soar, everything looks great. And yet up in Seattle, it's a very mixed bag. Here is Microsoft laying off workers, and here's Bezos at Amazon, who has a disastrous financial report the stock tanks. 
Yes, well, it depends on how you interpret it. I mean, they did grow sales 23% for a company that's uh, valued at 130 billion or something like that. That's still an astonishing growth rate. Because I understand the naysayers saying, you know, they're only doing that because they're not raising prices. As soon as they raise prices, which you have to do if you want to be profitable, then the sales will plummet. Well, that's right. I mean, what do you do? I mean, here's a guy who says it's all for the company, you know, where the shareholder doesn't get anything. And I notice a lot of the, the commentators will say, well, they don't have to pay their help enough so that uh, they need to keep the stock price up so that the employees are well compensated. But, you know, this, I guess Amazon is becoming a bit like Walmart. It's a company that people like to hate. Okay, um, just one quick question on Russia-Ukraine. It doesn't seem that it is as, as acute at the moment as it was uh, a week ago. Well, that's true. That's true. Um, and it is surprising to me, Brian, that it doesn't impact financial markets here in the States, just as this terrible conflict, Israel-Palestine, doesn't seem to impact the market. But clearly... The situation with sanctions is volatile and dangerous, and we'll see what the Europeans do this week. But clearly the Russians are being hard hit, and their economy is flat. It's not going to grow in the course of 14 or 15, and we'll see what happens with energy. But remember, the Europeans remain divided on this, and there's not much interest in really hitting them hard. But there's more sanctions coming. We know that. All right, Barry, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, we'll talk again next week. And, and uh, after you get off, uh, get us online and listen to Erwin Sampf and Jim Chanos, because that segment is coming up next. Thanks very much, Barry. Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent. The Frankenhorn Collection, the show with a slightly different sound. We'll find out about and listen to some of the weirdest musical instruments ever conceived, many of which, for very good reason, did not make it to the production stage. There isn't a lot that musicians and instrument makers haven't tried throughout the ages, sometimes with little thought to the finished result. Some survived, some thankfully didn't. Theremins, badgermins and cat pianos. We'll feature them all on the Frankenhorn Collection. Join me, Phil Whelan, Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Radio 3. Yes, and Phil's regular program, Morning Brew, will be coming up at 9 o'clock this morning. Of course, Back Chat's still on its summer break, Money for Nothing from 8 to 9, and then Morning Brew starts early with the irrepressible Phil Whelan. Well, back to the news flow this morning. The HKMA has bought another $690 million to defend the pegged exchange rate. The HKMA says it expects demand for the Hong Kong dollar to stay strong. Peter Pang, the authority's deputy chief executive, said the strength has to do with, quote, ongoing listings, mergers and acquisitions, and dividend distributions in the market. He said, we expect the Hong Kong dollar exchange rate will remain strong in the near term. Bank of America Merrill Lynch two weeks ago had suggested that banks were trying to get more cash to prepare for possible disruptions from Occupy Central and that movement. Mr. Pang did not include that as one of the reasons. And he also said that the Hong Kong-Shanghai Connect, where people were going to be able to buy uh, uh, China stocks, uh, A shares directly, 
was not a factor either because he said people could transfer money directly into um, uh, to renminbi and they didn't have to go through the Hong Kong dollar. So that wasn't what was driving it up. So we'll get to that in just a moment. But back now to Jim Chanos, a noted bear on China. He mentioned that he's still bearish some four years after his initial call. He says things are doubly bad than they were four years ago. Uh, credit running wild, he says. And he discounts the people who say that China knows all about this and has it under control. Well, those same people didn't see it four years ago, and now they believe that the authorities have it under control. The problem is, is that data, and uh, we take it, of course, with a large grain of Chinese salt, the data just shows that the credit spigot is just completely wide open and that more and more credit is going to support less and less growth. And the Chinese economy, based on basically construction, Charlie, is really manufactured growth. The minute you stick a shovel in the ground and put up a building or a bridge, that counts as GDP. Mm. The problem with that model is when you finish building it, you've got to put up another one. It's not based on ongoing consumption. And this reform that the Chinese uh, optimists felt was coming four years ago still is elusive. That's Jim Chano speaking with Charlie Rose on the Charlie Rose Show on Bloomberg. And we go back to that uh, saying that he mentioned uh, and the fact that he doesn't discount that the China technocrats uh, do understand the problem and they are trying to deal with it. But he recounts a saying in China, the mountains are high and the emperor is far away. There is a saying in China, uh, the mountains are high and the emperor is far away. And all of the action where the rubber hits the road in China happens at the local level. And that's where the technocrats in Beijing, although they can direct things, there's a little bit too much faith uh, that's put in the Central Committee and the planning committees because at the local level, the incentives are still to produce numbers, produce growth at any cost. And when asked about the corruption drive as one of the reforms that are currently underway in China, Mr. Chano said that the corruption drive looks a little like a purge. The anti-corruption drive, uh, which is something we've been focusing on for the last year and a half since Xi Jinping has been in power, is actually much more than that. It now appears to us to be a far more serious effort to cleanse the party. And uh, if you look at the People's Daily uh, uh, overnight announcements, I mean, there's four or five uh, headshots put up on Twitter and on their websites of people who've been taken away every night. Mm. I mean, it's almost as if you're seeing a Soviet-style 1930s purge with social media. That's Jim Chanos of the Kinikos Hedge Fund, again on Charlie Rose. Well, in the meantime, Hong Kong stocks and China stocks are in the midst of a pretty strong rally. Uh, more evidence of credit easing has emerged from China, and investors seem to like the extra stimulus. The Hang Seng Index is now at its highest level since 2011. China stocks have outperformed as well. We're joined now by Erwin Sanf from Standard Chartered Bank, head of China and Hong Kong Equity. Erwin, good morning. Yes, good morning. Yeah, sorry to make you wait a while. Wanted to get those Jim Chano's comments out there. But first, the China market has picked up and the A shares uh, or the H shares have traded pretty well in Hong Kong, but mostly led by PetroChina and a few companies. Um, when do the rest of the companies catch up? The rally we're seeing is becoming um, more broad-based over the last two months because it's over the last two months that – the authorities in China have started to take action to support the economy and uh, in particular the property market after what was a pretty severe downturn in the first uh, four months of the year. 
So the fact that investors have uh, supported this and have kind of weighed in, does that mean that um, it's unlikely that you're going to see a crisis uh, in the next year or two? Well, well, the market uh, takes a fairly short-term view and is you know, very sensitive to changes in the credit cycle. So the credit cycles just turn the corner. So I, you know, our view is that until the second half next year, this is going to remain the dominant trend in the market, although the equity market has a tendency to price things in quickly. So the current rally may be one which we see through to the end of this year, but I, I do think we have to go back to look at questions on structural reform next year. Because we sometimes think of a stock market as discounting out six to nine months down the road, uh, and there has been a little bit of pickup, yet not really in banks – um, will the banks come alive anytime soon? The banks should outperform among the very large sectors, which would include oil and telecom. But they are more like an inline perform, I think, for the overall market. What we like are the sectors that have very high sensitivity to credit growth, which includes the property sector, the commodity sector, and uh, some non-bank financials such as brokers and the insurance sector. And will that extra credit growth store up some problems for down the road, as we've just been hearing from Jim Chanos? Well, credit to GDP looks like it will continue to rise because of this credit easing. We've just hit the uh, debt-to-GDP level of 250%, uh, according to our own estimates, which now puts China in line with most large uh, developed nations. So we're not at uh, alarming levels yet, but uh, – Certainly, the, the trend is still uh, for rising debt to GDP, which is why I think next year we have to focus back on um, how effective structural reform is, because China clearly has to grow at a slower rate in the future and um, you know, get, a, get ahead of that uh, expansion in its, um, the size of its debt. So you mentioned you like the property sector and um, various sectors that are um, exposed to extra credit. I didn't catch the other ones. What else do you like? Which industries? Uh, Commodities and uh, non-bank financials, uh, such as brokers and insurance. What about Hong Kong? We've seen a nice little pickup here of late. uh, And it's very interesting to, um, to try to figure out what's happening with the Hong Kong dollar. First, what's your prognosis for Hong Kong over the next six months? Well, Hong Kong is going into a more difficult 2015. I mean, we were overweight Hong Kong stocks, uh, the you know traditional group of Hong Kong stocks, and underweight China in the first uh, five months of the year. We've reversed that because we do see credit easing in China. But here in Hong Kong, uh, well, for a start, that group of Hong Kong stocks has hugely outperformed the China stocks. And the main challenge uh, that Hong Kong faces is the challenge we were talking about, or the market was talking about at the beginning of the year, which is rising U.S. rates. That didn't happen, of course. So uh, the Hong Kong property stocks here perform very well so far this year. But going into next year, I think eventually we do get to that point where U.S. rates trend upwards, and that will generally put a uh, dampener on the asset prices here. Do you see the upward push in property stock prices as presaging a pickup in physical property? Well, we've seen a, a pickup in the physical market because rates have remained low, so people's uh, expectations were overly bearish. But once we get those uh, rising rates going into next year or early next year, uh, that is going to have a, an effect on sentiment here. 
And what about Peter Pang from the HKMA talking about uh, the reasons that the Hong Kong dollar has stayed so strong? He says it's uh, the ongoing listings, the mergers and acquisitions, and dividend distributions. I think in his blog, he said that this period from June to September is the is the biggest and thickest for um, dividend distribution, and companies need money to pay it out. Yeah, that, that's correct. Uh, I think the other thing we would add is we have seen U.S. dollar weakness uh, against major currencies around the globe. So I, I think uh, that has strained the peg somewhat, yeah, uh, given that the U.S. dollar has been weak. And um, some of the people I've had on said that they thought that maybe this um, Hong Kong-Shanghai Connect would be important, uh, you know, looking through the prism of why the Hong Kong dollar is so strong. But Mr. Pang said no. But is it a big story, though? Do you think that um, more money will flow in to try to take advantage of that? Well, the Connect uh, has a quite a wide daily quota, but the overall uh, aggregate, aggregate or net quota is small. So th- they deliberately set it up that there's not going to be, uh, you know, talking about uh, you know less than three percent of the free float market cap of both the Hong Kong and Shanghai exchanges. So to begin with, yeah, th- there's quite strict limits. What about overall the Hong Kong economy um, with? The China numbers in terms of travel slowing down, and perhaps we can talk a little bit with Charlie Wong sitting next to you there from Zuji in the second half hour, uh, a little bit um, later in the program. Uh, but what about these these flows uh, coming down? It does hurt our domestic consumption. It hurts our retail sales a bit. But we have so many strengths in the Hong Kong economy having to do with service in and out of China. Um, does the economy look okay? Well, I think the... Uh, the impact of the slowdown on China did hurt the economy here. So as things improve in China going into fourth quarter and the beginning of next year, that that will help. Uh, But then, you know, our view is that U.S. rates will start trending up. So still a mixed picture. Uh, The economy shouldn't be getting any worse. It should get a bit better. Uh, But asset prices here will struggle to rise next year uh, in our view. And that's because of rising rates. But shouldn't the first part of rising rates be a good story? It's only once they kind of, you know, once you see instead of 25, 50 basis points, it's more like uh, two and a half percentage points. For equities, that's true. Uh, But for physical property prices here, I think they'll be quite sensitive. So once rates uh, start going up, uh, there will be that dampening effect. Because of floating rates, people's uh, mortgage payments are going to go up. They're going to feel that right away and spend less. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And do you do you think that the um, Occupy Central, uh, I have to ask you about that as well, is that playing uh, a part at all in in people's outlook over the next six months? Well, you know, we, we do see that uh, as a you know, reaction to a lot of the challenges uh, that the society is uh, facing. And, you know, when the economy is struggling, that just uh, makes these things worse. So to the extent that China's economy is going to be picking up in fourth quarter into next year, I think that's going to you know, help lift the level of economic activity here. Okay, Erwin, thank you very much for coming in. A good solid 10 minutes with you, which is longer than usual, but we've got our longer summer program from 8 to 9 o'clock. And uh, Erwin Samth is the head of China and Hong Kong Equity at Standard Chartered Bank, joining us live in our Admiralty studios. Markets are mixed. Uh, We see the Nikkei down 18 points at 15,439. Also a bit of a downdraft in Australia, off about a quarter of a percent. But the Kospi is up about a half a percent in Seoul. Uh, Currency changes not much. Uh, 
um, looking at the renminbi, I didn't tell you about that, but the latest fixing rate, 6.159. The renminbi has been trading about 6.19, though. And looking at the pound, it's trading at 13 Hong Kong dollars and 16 cents. Oil prices, 108.11, so down about 28 cents. Gold has uh, picked up back over $1,300, Yeah, the all-important weather, mainly fine. Some isolated showers, going to be hot today. Maximum temperature, 32. Moderate east to southeasterly winds. The outlook, mainly fine and hot over the next few days. This is Money for Nothing. The news is coming up next. Here's Samantha Butler. Legislators on the Food Safety Panel will meet Food and Health Bureau officials today to discuss the rotten meat scandal that McDonald's has been caught up in. Yesterday, the fast food chain apologised for failing to communicate well over the scandal. Timmy Sung reports. It's the first time senior McDonald's executives in Hong Kong met reporters after the food scandal broke almost a week ago. The fast food chain initially denied that any of its food sold in Hong Kong had come from the Shanghai factory. But it admitted later that certain products were sourced from the supplier last year and subsequently sold. The restaurant's managing director, Randy Lai, said the company failed to communicate well with the public. Ms. Lai apologized, saying the company had caused confusion and anxiety and would be more transparent in the future. One of the organizers of Occupy Central, Benny Tai, has accused the chief executive, C.Y. Leung, of poor political judgment for saying he would add his signature to the Alliance for Peace and Democracy campaign against the Occupy Central movement. Professor Tai said Mr. Leung did not appear to have a clear understanding of what the movement was all about. But the convener of the Alliance for Peace and Democracy, Robert Chow, says everyone in Hong Kong, including the chief executive, is entitled to express their opinion. Mr. Chow says the group will meet with the Chief Secretary, Carrie Lam, today. We will decide what to do with the signatures. Uh, should we present it all to government? Would they like to receive it? So I think this is one area that we will probably talk to Carrie Lam about. I, I don't think we will be asking her or asking the Hong Kong government to do anything in particular. But I think uh, the government should respect public opinion, especially opinion expressed in this way. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. It's 8.33 and this is Money for Nothing. And uh, we'll have more business and finance coverage a little bit later in the program. And a guest coming up, Charlie Wong, CEO of Zuji Hong Kong. And we'll be speaking with Charlie in about uh, five to ten minutes. We'll introduce uh, more news flow into the second half of the program and then get to our guests and follow up with some later stories uh, about uh, business and finance. The Alliance for Peace and Democracy is to meet the Chief Secretary, Kerry Lam, later today to discuss what to do with the more than 900,000 signatures that it says it collected over the past nine days. Its convener, Robert Chow, believes that this is a record for Hong Kong and perhaps even for the world. We will decide what to do with the signatures. Uh, Should we present it all to government? Would they like to receive it? So I think this is one area that we will probably talk to Carrie Lam about. 
I, I don't think we will be asking her or asking the Hong Kong government to do anything in particular. But I think uh, the government should respect public opinion, especially opinion expressed in this way. And Mr. Chow's wish for the Lung administration to respect public opinion over the campaign is unlikely to fall on deaf ears. The chief executive and virtually all his senior officials, including Carrie Lam, either signed the alliance's petition against Occupy Central or pledged to do so. That has led one of the organizers of the civil disobedience movement, Professor Benny Tai, to accuse the chief executive of poor political judgment. Speaking at RTHK's city forum, Professor Tai said Siwa Lung did not appear to have a clear understanding of what the movement was all about. It is a civil disobedience movement and it is not an ordinary kind of breach of law. And without such an understanding or maybe if the chief executive even knowing the difference but still signed such a statement, I think that is a very poor political judgment, lack of political sensitivity, even though it may be uh, uh, in compliance with the uh, 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 the guidelines for uh, political appointment officials. Meantime, sociology professor Loy Tai Lok also criticized government officials for signing the Alliance for Peace and Democracy petition. There's a domain belongs to the government and there's also a big domain belongs to civil society. I would rather like to see it um, not intermingling with each other and allowing uh, the general public to do what they want to do and the government remain being a mechanism that would allow and accommodate uh, different opinion and to allow different opinion to freely express um, what they intend to achieve. Yeah, the rules do allow them to do that, but um, in the context of Hong Kong society, I don't see any advantage of doing so. But Stanley Ung from the Peace and Democracy Alliance urged the public not to question Mr. Lung's motives. He said that it was not a problem for officials to express their personal views. Legislators will meet Food and Health Bureau officials today to discuss the rotten meat scandal that McDonald's has been caught up in. Yesterday, McDonald's Hong Kong said that all products imported from the company at the center of the scandal, Husi Food, had now been sent to a government collection point. It also said it was enlisting the help of officials to verify that all ingredients from the mainland supplier were no longer in its outlets here. Tommy Jung represents the catering industry in LegCo and sits on the council's food safety panel. Ian Pooler asked Mr. Jung what concerns he expects to be raised at the meeting today. I think Hong Kong as a whole uh, wanted our government officials to see if more protection <coughs> uh, for consumers can be, uh, can be done. But I don't know. I've talked to them uh, the last uh, two, three days. Uh, with frozen foods and with cooked foods, what else uh, can we do? You know, can we uh, do more uh, random sampling? Uh, is that the way to go? And uh, we really have to look at the, the risk factor, um, how risky. The higher the risk, obviously the um, FEHD should do more on it. Uh, but with frozen food and with cooked food, that's another story. When you say it's another story, uh, one of the products that McDonald's apparently bought from Hoosie's Shanghai factory was cooked chicken. Now, imports of cooked meat appear not to be, for the moment, regulated. Uh, why is that, first of all? Because I think, uh, like I said earlier, it, they um, assess the risk of cooked food uh, being not on the, uh, not, not the high-risk side. And uh, so and it has... Uh, not actually have any 
problems before. Um, and even if you say let's regulate it, I don't know what it is that we can regulate. Uh, what do we test it for when you do cook food? You usually probably just do uh, bacteria testing. And if they don't have any bacteria, then you let it go. But that doesn't mean uh, what's happened uh, in the last two weeks with uh, the Husi company uh, isn't there. Now, there's no evidence, is there, to suggest at the moment that the food that was imported was actually contaminated in any way? Yes. So does that suggest perhaps that, uh, although we now know, of course, that there was a problem at the factory in Shanghai, uh, do you believe uh, that the system that we have at the moment for testing food in Hong Kong is actually working effectively? Well, let me put it this way. I, I wouldn't say it's ineffective. But there is no way that uh, as we import 90% of what we consumed in Hong Kong overseas, uh, it's just not the mainland. You look at uh, the UK, they got problem there. Uh, our, our government officials just couldn't be going to different countries and looking at uh, different food factories, you know, every day. So the only thing left is what can we do when we get them in? And uh, I believe they still test around 60, 70 samples a year. That's a huge number. We already do 100% of uh, Japanese import uh, for, for radio, for, for cesium and all that, uh, just because we're not uh, um, comfortable that uh, food from uh, Japan will not be contaminated. So how much can government officials do uh, that's one story, but we need to rely on government officials where they exported, uh, the, the exporting countries to do their jobs. And now with the Shanghai uh, Husi company, I think uh, China will be stepping in uh, uh, to do uh, uh, more monitoring. That's LegCo uh, representative Tommy Jung, who represents the catering industry, speaking early this morning in Hong Kong today. To international news now, Israeli forces and the Palestinian group Hamas have again been exchanging shell and rocket fire, despite each side announcing a temporary ceasefire. The Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said that any peace officer, or rather any peace offer suggested by Hamas, couldn't be trusted. You know, we've accepted five ceasefires, acted upon them. Hamas has rejected every single one of them, violated them, including two humanitarian ceasefires, which we accepted and implemented in the last 24 hours. Now Hamas is suggesting a ceasefire, and believe it or not, David, they've even violated their own ceasefire. So they continue to fire at us. More than a 1,000 Palestinians have been killed in fighting in Gaza, while 40 Israelis have died. The BBC's Ian Panel has the latest from inside Gaza. Today was supposed to be quiet in Gaza. Israel had extended its ceasefire for another 24 hours. But Hamas did not, and the Palestinian militants resumed their shelling. <laughs> The Israeli military released a video taken today that it says shows rockets being fired out of Gaza from a school. A spokesman says more than 50 have been launched across the border since midnight. Israel's truce was called off. 
It's just gone 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, we were told that Israel was adhering to the ceasefire and that we were okay to travel on this area, but we're hearing a fairly constant barrage of artillery incoming. We've seen smoke rising in a number of different locations. We saw paramedics treat four people who'd been injured in the shelling. They said they'd been working on their farm. All of them had shrapnel wounds. Whatever the politics of this conflict, it's civilians who've borne the brunt. A spokesman for Hamas, Ihab al-Hussein, insists their demands won't change. Above all, a lifting of the blockade on Gaza. The Palestinian people in Gaza have suffered enormously over the last two weeks. Surely your position needs to change. If you keep sticking to it, people keep dying. I'm looking for my freedom, so, and, and I know that uh, the price of freedom will be high. So um, nobody can make me give up or hold the white flag without getting my freedom. And this is the sense for all the Palestinians. There was hope of a longer ceasefire, even a peace process. Diplomatic efforts are ongoing. But tonight, the conflict in Gaza still feels far from over. Ian Panel reporting. The Israeli army has admitted firing a mortar shell into a U.N. shelter in Gaza, where 13 people were killed and dozens of others wounded on Thursday. An army spokesman said a military investigation had shown that the shell landed there accidentally and could not have killed anyone because aerial footage has shown the courtyard to have been empty. But Israel's justice minister, Zippy Livni, admitted that it was difficult to target Hamas militants without injuring civilians. This is one of the problems that we are facing since they are hiding among civilians. Since they ask these civilians to stay at home while we are calling them. We are texting them to their cell phones. We are calling them leaflets to leave these places because there are missiles and tunnels in these places. The time is now 15 minutes before 9 o'clock. You're listening to Money for Nothing here on Radio 3. And we resume now with our coverage of business and finance. Transportation stocks have outperformed the overall stock market in the United States and in Europe. The strength has been led by airlines, trucking, and railroad stocks. The biggest China travel site, ctrip.com, rose 13% last week to $67. It's up 35%. The robust performance seems to run counter to the increase in geopolitical tensions of late and the difficult year it has been for airlines and for various crashes. Charlie Wong, the CEO of Zuji Home. Hong Kong joins us now in our studios. Charlie, good morning. Good morning, Brian. And thank you for waiting. It does seem interesting and odd that airlines have done pretty well. Um, travel seems to be doing pretty well. You can tell me about your company, Zuji, in a minute. But it seems that this sort of travel is robust, even with uh, all these difficulties. Why? Well, um, in Hong Kong especially, um, we're living in a very densely populated city and people really want to go out. Whenever there are long weekends, we always want to go out to um, um, countries or cities within a couple of hours and they want to, uh, um, well, basically, uh, well, take it easy. And therefore, there, there is a huge demand. And as a result of that, all, all those uh, OTA companies as well as uh, transportation companies are doing well. Probably nobody knows as well as you where they're going uh, and who they're traveling on. Where are these people going? 
Well, usually they go to cities which are within a three to four hours flight.、Uh, for example, like Taipei, Singapore, Korea,、uh, Tokyo, and、uh, of course mainland China. So, how is your business?、Um, you know, coming through the last six months or so, first half of the year, how was it? In fact, 2015、um, has been quite an interesting year for us in Suji, because,、um, as you know,、um, the entire travel sentiment in Hong Kong is affected by a lot of、uh, political incidents.、Uh, earlier in the year, we've got the、um, Vietnam fiasco, and then now we have the、uh, Malaysian Airlines, and then、uh, we've got a couple of uh, uh, incidents for for airlines as well. But interestingly,、uh, interestingly, for our company, we've been、uh, doing quite well. We've been Uh, having a double-digit growth year on year,、um, and that's basically down to the fact that、uh, people in Hong Kong are rather forgetful in a lot of circumstances, and、um, especially in, in our online travel agency business,、um, people just simply like to travel and they they book from、uh, online. So our business has been、uh, quite decent. In, so twenty fourteen, twenty fourteen has been and very good this year, and、uh, it sounds like you're also looking for. Forward into next year and expect、uh, business to be robust. Yeah, yeah, I, I would imagine、uh, for us in the online travel agency business,、um, our, our our look is rather decent. Especially the, there are a couple of new entrants coming、uh, coming into the market, and therefore they basically educated people in Hong Kong to use more online travel agency. And we are looking、um, well, pretty pretty optimistically. So you mentioned、uh, some of the crashes that people have had to think about,、uh, the tragic ones all around the world.、Uh, most recently in Taiwan, that was、uh, something that you also mentioned was a, a, a clear destination for people around here. Are you seeing that it is driving people to alternate forms of travel? Might they be booking cruises or taking the train? Well, I would say overall the airline industry is still very safe, and it is still one of the、uh, most safest kind of mode of transport. Although people are seeing a lot of tragedies recently,、um, but then people are still trusting the aviation and business. And although perhaps they are, might not be going to uh, uh, Thailand or they might not be going to、uh, Taiwan, but they are shifting towards other countries like Korea or. Japan. As an example, even when we we had a fiasco or, or the tsunami in in,、uh, in Tokyo or, or in Japan a couple of years ago,、uh, after a couple of months, Hong Kong people just simply forgot that, and then、uh, they started going back to、um, Japan. Yeah, people do bounce back.、Uh, is there much seasonality in Hong Kong travel? I mean, you would imagine the summer would be the busiest,、uh, uh, but does that always turn out to be the case? And how does the rest of the year stack up for you? Yeah, of course, of course. Summer holidays, we've got a lot of school holidays, and of course, that that is one of our peak season. And other peak season would be、um, uh, our autumn season, immediately after after the school holidays, because、uh, there will be a lot of good deals coming out from、uh, from the industry, and therefore people make a lot of、uh, travel purchases. Of course, and other big season would be around、uh, Christmas. Christmas, of course, everybody goes everywhere, and then all the expats will、uh, go back to their original countries and stuff. So basically, anything which is surrounded by、uh, public holidays, we see quite a fair bit of、uh, travel activities. Online travel has really taken off.、Uh, it seems that just about everybody would be booking airline tickets online.、Uh, does anybody use a travel agent anymore? 
Um, in Hong Kong, we've got a very special situation. In fact, um, online travel still represents about 10% of the entire travel business. Only 10. So you've got a massive um, ramp up that you can do. Yeah, that's why that's why we are pretty optimistic about the market. But you're not listed. Uh, you, your your owner used to be listed, right? Your private firm now? Um, no, we we got uh, purchased by Webjet, which is an Australian listed uh, company. Okay, so uh, used to be uh, used to be um, uh, public, then went private, and then purchased away from Travelocity by Webjet. And yeah. uh, so, um, is it? Um, would you say that looking forward over the next couple of years that um, there's really uh, just, as I mentioned before, just a huge runway for growth? And um, where do you expect that growth to come from the most? Yeah, definitely. Um, the outlook of uh, online travel agencies in Hong Kong are really optimistic. And the growth, I would believe, firstly, we will still come, come from uh, desktop or, or online travel. Um, and then, of course, the next big thing is mobile. People are always um, spending their time on mobile, searching for good deals, and uh, mobile is definitely definitely next big thing. I mentioned ctrip.com and the robust uh, uh, period that they've had of late. Um, do you get much business out of China? Yes, we do. In fact, um, interestingly, we've got quite a fair bit of uh, mainland Chinese come to Hong Kong and then travel uh, forward to other destinations. They are usually uh, coming here for shopping or perhaps for a couple of days of business trips and stuff. And we do see about um, 5 to 10 percent of our business coming up from mainland China. Okay, Charlie. Well, very interesting material. Thank you very much for joining us here. I'm money for nothing. Thanks for having me. That's Charlie Wong, CEO of Zuji Hong Kong. Very good morning this morning. It has been uh, quite nice out this morning. Uh, we do expect some isolated showers for the day today and also very hot, 32 degrees. Well, our new feature... Um, Tech in two. It's a sort of tech update every morning, targeting uh, some of the latest developments in uh, the field of technology. And Angelina Draper joins me now in the studio for this morning's update. Angelina. Good morning. Well, after a very busy week last week with all of the tech revenue um, earnings reports, we're getting off to a slightly slower morning this morning, slower week. It is a Monday morning. It is Monday. Audio equipment giant Bose has filled a, filed a lawsuit in the United States suing Beats Electronics, the headphone and speaker company that Apple agreed to acquire earlier this year for $3 billion U.S. dollars. Beats is accused of infringing Bose's patent relating to noise-canceling technology. This is something Bose says they have been selling since the year 2000 and working on since 1978. Beat Electronics was founded in 2006 by rapper Dr. Dre and music producer Jimmy Yovine. The company is itself suing unnamed individuals in China for selling counterfeit Beats products over the internet. The Chinese search engine company Baidu has confirmed it is working on a self-driving car. The news comes just two months after Google unveiled its driverless and steering wheelless car prototype. Baidu representatives said in a recent interview that their program is at a very early stage. By comparison, Google has been working on a driverless car since at least 2005. Baidu, often referred to as China's Google, has research and development labs in China and Silicon Valley. 
US-based internet shopping site Zappos is introducing a service that helps its customers track down any fashion item. The service, called Ask Zappos, promises to find results even if the company does not sell the item. This digital personal assistant is available on the company's mobile site and taps into the trend known as social shopping. Users send in pictures of items they like and receive links from which to purchase the exact or similar items. A 13-year-old girl in Texas woke up to find that the Samsung Galaxy S4 mobile phone that was under her pillow had melted. She initially ignored the faint smell of smoke, but as it got stronger, woke up and found the charred device. Samsung says the fault lies with a replacement battery, which was not an original product. The company also issues a warning that covering a phone with anything that prevents airflow might cause a fire. Thanks very much, Angelina. The time is now five minutes before nine o'clock and we continue with news here on Money for Nothing. The Dutch prime minister says plans to send a mission to secure the site of the downed airliner in eastern Ukraine are unrealistic. Holland, Australia and Malaysia had been considering sending a joint military mission to protect forensic experts who haven't yet been able to investigate the cause of the crash. This comes as the Ukrainian armed forces have launched a major offensive against pro-Russian rebels in a bid to gain control over the area where the crash site sits. The BBC's Tom Burridge reports from Kharkiv. Today, Ukrainian government forces rolled through countryside, right near the crash site of flight MH17. For months, pro-Russian rebels have controlled this area. But throughout this weekend, there's been fierce fighting nearby and gains for Ukraine's government. Not far away, the city of Horlivka, where there's been heavy shelling. The video seems genuine. Civilians have been killed today, including children. Horlivka is near the strategically important, rebel-controlled city of Donetsk. Advances by Ukraine's army suggest they're trying to control two main roads. The Ukrainian government believes they're key supply lines from Russia for rebel forces in the city. And not far away, the crash site of flight MH17, near the village of Grabova. That's where this Dutch police and forensics team wanted to go today. But they decided it wasn't safe. The Dutch Prime Minister said sending an armed team to the crash site is not an option. The separatists have many heavily armed men close to the Russian border. Achieving military superiority through an international mission in this region is, it's our conclusion, not realistic. But in the Dutch city of Hilversum, where they're identifying the victims, tributes for those 298 passengers. Their families want the truth, but it's proving hard for those countries seeking answers. The U.S. State Department has released satellite images that it says backs its claims that rockets were fired from Russia into eastern Ukraine and that heavy artillery intended for use by separatists has also crossed the border. Moscow denies directly intervening in the conflict in Ukraine. Details now from the BBC's Tom Esselmont. They are rather grainy and they are black and white and they show what U.S. State Department officials say are missile batteries both on the Russian side of the border and in eastern Ukraine. They show apparently rather sort of patchy bits of scorched earth where they say these self-propelled artillery missiles have been fired from Russia. They also show craters on the ground in eastern Ukraine 
where they say those missiles have targeted Ukrainian military positions. And the pictures of、um, missiles being fired from eastern Ukraine show what the State Department says. Are the trajectories of these missiles going about 11.5 kilometers, and then another one travelling about six kilometers within Ukrainian territory? Very clearly, though, what these images are not is evidence of a missile being fired on the day of the downing of the、uh, flight MH17, because all of these pictures date to the period between the 21st of July. And the 26th of July, and of course, all of these images are unverifiable. We are only going on what the State Department is telling us. BBC's Tom Esselmont reporting: Russia's central bank is raising interest rates over concerns about inflation and what it called geopolitical tension. The bank's board unexpectedly decided to raise its key interest rate by 50 basis points to 8 percent. The rate hike will come into effect later today. Well, the time is just one minute before nine o'clock. We'll be right back and a look at the weather. Don't lie around, or you'll get a fat belly. If you want to be healthy, then moderate exercise is the way to go. Make exercise a daily habit, at least half an hour a day. Whether you exercise outdoors or indoors, rope skipping, ball games, or jogging are all good choices. Work up a sweat. Exercise with your family. Stay active. Rope skipping keeps you fit. Sport for all day on August third needs your support. Hey, well, let's take a look at markets here as we go out. The Nikkei down twenty-two points at fifteen thousand four thirty-five. Markets are slightly lower in Australia as well, but the Kospi in Seoul is up about one third of one percent. Look at the weather today. Well, as you mentioned,、uh, mainly fine for the most part. Very nice day. Some chance of isolated showers、uh, as well, and the outlook will continue like this for the next few days. Mainly fine and very hot straight on through the middle of the week. Maximum temperature today, thirty-two degrees with moderate east to southeasterly winds. The news is next, and then morning brew on Radio Three.